you have your copy of God's Word, if you have your Bible, maybe your device, let me invite you to take it out and turn with me to Psalm 65. Psalm 65. Those of you that are tuning in from online, we welcome you. We're glad you're able to do that uh, through technology. Psalm 65. If you're not familiar with where to find it, if you open your Bible right in the middle, you'll probably find the book of Psalms. It starts with the letter P. Don't let it confuse you, all right? We'll be in 65. We'll be in 65. You know, as we start the new year, as we begin 2021, one of the things that we often do when we start a new year is we reflect back over the previous year. We might do things like make New Year's resolution, but I'm not going to preach on that. I don't want to make you feel bad right off the bat, right? Uh, But we reflect, we look back, we kind of take a survey of the year before. And I'm guaranteeing that for many of us, if not all of us, 2020 will be a year we mark. We will remember 2020. We will remember a pandemic that changed the world. We will remember an election cycle that seemed to never end. We will remember riots in the street. We will remember our normal rhythms of life being interrupted. We'll even remember it from a church perspective of many of the things that have been altered and changed and moved over this last year. It has been one of those years where many days you had the attitude of keep your head down, keep going, just grind through it, just make it if you can. Uh, It was a hard year. We wept with those that were hurting. We mourned with those who had lost. 2020 was definitely a year that we will Remember, it'll be one of those we reflect back on many times throughout the rest of our lives. But I want to say something here that I think is important for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2020 was good because God was there. 2020 was good because God has been sufficient. God has provided. God has sustained. We as believers certainly are not a void from facing challenges. We're not void from facing the roller coaster of our emotions when we face hard things. But we are certainly sure that even when we face hard things, even when we're in the roller coaster of life, below all of that is the bedrock of joy knowing this, our God is in control. Our God is on the throne. In 2020, I would say to you, there were some hard, hard days. But there was never a day where God was not. There was never a day where God was not with us, sustaining us, holding us, watching over us, caring for us with the tender care of a God who loves. And as we make our way into 2021, I I want to remind us that many of the struggles that we had in last year, just because the clock struck midnight did not mean they went away. They did not change overnight. We face the same struggles today that we will face tomorrow and in the days to come. Over this next year, we will weep with those who are hurting. We will mourn with those who face loss. We will face struggle and trial and problems. There will be great joys and great laughters. But in the cycle of this fallen world, there is always struggle. There will always be struggle. As Job would tell us, sparks fly up because of this world. We always know there will be problems. But what we can always be sure of is, no matter what we face, God is with us. God is there. And might I add this, God is good. Over the next few weeks, I want us to take just a moment and turn to the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of poetry and songs where we find the emotions of the believer seeking God. 
We find psalms of worship and praise going into the temple. We find psalms of lament and prayer and need. We find psalms of joy. We find psalms of struggle. There is a poem in the book of Psalms for every emotion we could feel. But over the next few weeks, I want us to look at Psalm 65, 66, and 67. And in these psalms, here's what you will find. You will find a psalmist who is singing to a God in which he has fixed his eyes. He is focused on God, and all of the storms around him have seemed to subdue because he's lifted his eyes above them. I want us over the next few weeks to realize that while we may face the storms of life, we know the God who reigns over them. We know the God who's in charge. And through these psalms, I want us to basically, this idea of just refocus. Just look again. Just stare again at God and be reminded who He is and how good He is and why we need Him. My heart's desire is over the next few weeks, we would start this year together with a smile on our face, knowing the trouble's still there. There's problems lurking around the corner, but God is good. And He is with us. And He will sustain us. Would you join me in your copy of God's Word as we read Psalm 65? The postscript there, or the title, would tell us that it is a psalm written by David. We are not sure of the setting per se, but we can hear the words of David in the psalm. We understand the, the king. You'll also see in the psalm the agricultural of Israel as a simile. Look with me at Psalm 65, starting in verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one who, choose, who you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and all the furthest seas, the one who has strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of his people, so that those who dwell in the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Verse 9, you visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening with the showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, Lord, I pray you would help us as we, as we hear and sing and say and read this psalm. Lord God, would you remind us of just how good you are? Would you remind us of how you've walked with us and sustained us and held us? Would you remind us that no matter what we may face tomorrow, all the uncertainty of the days to come, that you are the God who loves his people. Father, there is no doubt as I look across this room that there have been highs and lows in this past year. There has been deep hurt, hard losses, uncertain times, worry and fret. But Lord, as we gather here on this first Sunday of the year, we are reminded 
You have held our hand. You have sustained us. We wouldn't have made it without you. You are good to your people. Lord, as we face the future, as we face the unknown, I pray through this word this morning, this text this morning, you would help us refocus our eyes. You would help us see you more clearly. You would help our gaze move from the fallenness of this world to the beauty of your eternal kingdom. God help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist is writing about a God who is over creation and over covenant. He is a God who not only forms and helps the land, but he's a God who forgives and rescues people. He is a God who both gives and sustains. The psalmist is describing for us in agricultural terms the God who cares about people who's in tune with the day-to-day lives of his people. He's a God who believes in rescuing them from their sin and feeding them at their table. He's a God who cares just about, not just about the body and the soul, but the body and the soul together. He's a God who's attentive to our needs. The psalmist will sing about the character of God and the goodness of God, and he will do so in three acts or three stanzas. You can see that Psalms is a poem. You're to feel the weight of the movements of the verse, and in all three of the verses, the psalmist will give us a reason to look at God, a reason to focus on God, a reason to set our eyes on God, a reason to lift among the storms of Today, So let us look together at these three stanzas and let us think about how we, moving into the new year, can look to God, can, can raise our eyes to God. Let me give you the first one, simply this. I believe in the first section, in the first few verses, we are to set our eyes on the God who forgives. That in the days to come, whatever we face, whatever we're going through, whatever trial or struggle, whatever pain or uncertainty, the one and first and only reason to worship the Lord is because He has forgiven us. He has rescued us. He has given us our salvation, that which we did not earn or deserve, but He has lifted us up and He has saved us. Let me put it to you more practically. Whatever you face this year will not be greater than the sin that Jesus rescued you from. Whatever you face this year will not be higher or worse or deeper or further away from the sin that God rescued from. Look with me at the first stanza together. Let me show you what I mean as we set our eyes on the God who forgives. Verse 1, praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. You who hear the prayer, to you shall all flesh come. Now verse 3 is the central text of this first verse. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose to bring near, to dwell in the courts we, will, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. Now notice what he says there in verse 3. Blessed is the God who atones. Blessed is the God who rescues, who forgives, who redeems of our sin. But I want you to notice the two words that he uses for sin because he, he leaves no category unturned. First, he says in verse 3, Blessed are those when, in, or excuse me, when iniquities prevail. Iniquities is the idea of sinning in order to twist what is good. Iniquities is to take what God has designed to be right and make it into evil. We do this often in our day and time. We do this often in our own lives. We will take what God has said to be good and we will twist it to our way, to our wants, to our desires. We take what God has given us and we move it to what is evil. But then notice the second word that he uses. He says, and our our transgressions 
This is the same root word where we get the word trespass. It means to cross a line. It means to willfully rebel against God. So what the psalmist is saying when he talks about his sin is he's saying these words, God, I have sinned. I have sinned because I have willfully ran from your presence, your will, your wants, and your desires. But I've also sinned because I've taken what you've said was good and I've twisted it to fit what I thought was right. I've twisted it to set to where I wanted it. I have rebelled against you. I have twisted your ways. I have sinned in every form and fashion. But notice what the psalmist sings about. He does not sing about his sin. That is not the central part of the text. Look at verse 3 again. He says in verse 3, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you're one of those that write in your Bible, but I say this to you often, you should, and you should circle, underline, star, and exclamation point the word atone. Because this means simply that God has paid the price, has fulfilled the demands, has done what is necessary so that your sins, my sins, may be forgiven. All of those iniquities and trespasses, all of those reasons why God's wrath should be poured out on us, all of the demands of righteousness that should come down on sin, all of the wages of death that sin have earned, God has paid for them. God has atoned for them. God has rescued us by by paying the price so that we would not have to feel His wrath. How did God do this? Brothers and sisters, He did this through His Son. The Bible tells us that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians would tell us that Christ became the curse for us. The Bible would say that he hung on the tree and the sky grew, the sky grew dark and God turned his wrath upon him and darkness fell on his shoulders and he experienced what you and I should have experienced. On the cross that day, he atoned for our sin. On the cross that day, he paid for our sin. On the cross that day, his blood ran down to cover all of our iniquities and our transgressions. On the cross that day, we are now forgiven. Listen to me now. Don't miss this. Whatever you face, whatever you're going through, if you are a child of the King and God has forgiven you, then wherever you find yourself in the new year, you have a song to sing for God has atoned for your sins. God has forgiven you. The God of all creation, which we have rebelled against and twisted His words and fallen so short, has looked on us with grace and not just forgiveness with its lip service. He doesn't just say, I forgive you. We've all been there. We've all had our mama or grandmama snatch us up and say, tell your brother you forgive him or tell him you're sorry. And you with pouted lips and gritted teeth muster out the words, I'm sorry. And there is nothing in your heart that means it. There's nothing in your heart that paid for it. There's nothing in your heart that made it right. But when God says, I've atoned for your sins, you don't have to think that He's going through lip service. You can look to the cross of Calvary and know He means it. He means it. He has forgiven us. He has forgiven us our sins. Whatever I face in the new year, whatever struggle I may endure, I can know that God has Forgiven us. The Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. He has bought you back by his physical death. He has atoned for your sins. The psalmist says that I sing to the Lord because God is a God who forgives. God is a God who is worthy of worship. But look at verse 1. Because God forgives, notice what the psalmist does. The psalmist says, praise is due to you 
and vows shall be performed. The psalmist says, because God has forgiven me, first, I will praise him. And second, I will commit to follow him. I will make vows before him. I will dedicate my life to this God who's forgiven me. I will not forsake him or turn from him or run from him. Whatever the world may throw at me, whatever I may face, whatever sorrow and despair may be around the corner, because God has forgiven me, I vow that I won't leave him. I won't turn my back on him. Like Job, I will plant my feet and say, I know God is there. I will worship him. I like this word praise here. If you see it in your Bible, it's praise. The Hebrew literally means praise silent. It's the idea that the psalmist is so overwhelmed by the forgiveness of God that he shuts his mouth and prays, that he sings silently, that he closes his lips to honor the Lord who has rescued him. Now, I, I like to sing. I'm, I'm pretty good at it when I'm by myself and no one's listening. You can take my word on that. I like to sing. I like to sing to the Lord. I like to praise the Lord. But, but there are moments. There are moments, brothers and sisters, in our singing to the Lord and the worship of the Lord where the Spirit is heavy, where the truth of God is heavy, and we find ourselves not even able to utter a word. This is what the psalmist is feeling. He is feeling the overwhelming forgiveness of God, and he opens his mouth to sing, and nothing comes out. He is in silent praise of the God who would forgive him. And because of this God, he will, he will make vows to him. But I, but I want you to notice something in this song of forgiveness that I, I want you to see the benefits of this forgiveness. He tells us in the text that because God has forgiven us, there are some benefits now. When you walk into the new year and you find yourself struggling, you find yourself in a hard place, you find yourself facing uncertainty, you can sing to God, you can set your eyes on God, you can focus on God because he's forgiven you, he loves you. He cares about you, but because he's forgiven you, he's also given you some blessings. No, notice what he says in verse 2. Oh, you who hear prayer, we find that because God has forgiven us, we now have communication with him. He hears us. He listens to us. He cares about us. He desires us to communicate with him. Think about it. Wherever you face in the new year, wherever you find yourself, whatever struggle sets before us, whatever a pandemic may do, the God of all creation, because He has forgiven you, now lets you speak to Him. You can come to the King. You ever found yourself arguing over something in a store? Maybe it's a bill you got in the mail. At some point, you're talking to someone, and somewhere along the way, you try to play this card. Can I speak to the manager? Can I talk to the person in charge? I want the one who can actually make decisions. I, I know you're doing a great job. I, I know you've done everything they've taught you to do. You've recited every statement you're supposed to say. Now that you've done your job, thank you for doing your job. Get me the person I can really talk to. Now think about what the scripture says. God hears us. Because he has forgiven you, because he has rescued you by the blood of his son, because he has brought you in, now you have a never busy line to the manager of all things. To the king of kings. You get to speak to God. Now that'll help me focus, won't it? That'll help fix my eyes. That'll help me when I feel uncertain, when I feel doubt, when I feel worry, when I feel discouraged. Knowing I can speak to God. What a powerful truth. But he gives us another blessing in the text. Not only does he hear our prayer, verse 4, he brings us close. Blessed is the one you choose to bring near, 
to dwell in your courts. God is near us. Because He has saved us, because He's atoned for our sins, now our relationship with Him is made whole. We can access Him. We can be in His presence. There is no sin that separates us from God now because Christ has covered our sin. We get to go into His courts. We get invited to His presence. So now, when I face that uncertainty, when I find myself in that hospital room alone or at that graveyard weeping or at the job that's falling apart, I can know God is with me because He has brought me near. He has encouraged me by His presence. He has rescued me. Then look at verse 4. He goes on further. He says, You have satisfied with the goodness of your house. Now to the Jewish worshiper, the house of God was the place where they met God. To the Christian, it is through Christ we meet God and His Spirit is always with us. We are satisfied now. What was the temple to the Old Testament is the Spirit of God living in us now. We are always satisfied with God. We always have God. And so the psalmist says, whatever we face, whatever we're going through, set our eyes on the God who forgives. Because when we remember the God who's forgiven us, we will remember we can pray, we can worship, He's with us, He holds us, and no matter what we face, God is there. God is good. God loves us. I believe this year we'll have challenges. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. But I think it's pretty common that every year we face challenges in this world. Since Adam and Eve sinned and one brother murdered another, the fall of the world has happened. The garden has moved to a swamp. There is struggle and calamity and pain and sorrow. You will face problems this year. But this psalm reminds us you will not face them alone. You will not face them without the God who walks with you, without the God who forgives you, without the God who rescues you, the God who has built His forgiveness into the death of His Son for us. Whatever we face this year, there is nothing greater than needing God's forgiveness, and He has given us that. I like verse 3. We'll finish this first verse this way. Look at verse 3. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. I like the way that sounds because it sounds a lot like when sin was great, grace was greater. When sin abound, forgiveness was bigger. You you realize that, that whatever you face, wherever you are, whatever struggle you find yourself in, whatever ditch your car of life has ran into, whatever sin has entangled you, wherever you go, understand this, you can't get deeper than God's grace. You can't get further than His mercy. God loves His children. And where iniquities prevail, His grace is so much more. I think about it this way. Robert Robert Lowry would write it this way in his song we sing. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He has atoned for our sins. We can set our eyes on the God who forgives. Secondly, the psalmist now moves from the larger picture to a a smaller picture. But in a sense, he goes from the temple where God forgives to the creation where God controls He will tell us in the second part of his song simply this, set your eyes on the God who creates. 
Not only should we set our eyes on the God who forgives, but we should set our eyes on the God who creates. He's given us another aspect of who God is and why we should stare at him, why our focus should be on him. Look with me at verses 5 through 8. He will move now to begin to speak about the land. This is, of course, a uh, Hebrew. This is, of course, David probably writing this in a very agricultural society. So the, sim- the symbolism, the uh, analogy of farming and land would make sense to this people as they write in poetry. So look at verse 5. By your awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation, the hope to all the ends of the earth... And the furthest seas. Now that is serving as a transition. He is reaching back to the God who has saved. He is reaching back to the God who does righteous acts. To do righteous acts means to set it right. He's reaching back to his first verse. But now he's adding in this idea that you're for all people. That you're for the whole world. That you reign over all of creation. That your goodness goes everywhere. And then we find that it is a personal work of God. Notice in verse 5. Answer us. Our salvation, the God of all creation, is watching over us. He's tending to us. But notice with me what the psalmist will describe. Look at verse 6 and 7. The one who by his strength established the mountains and being girded with might, who stills the roaring seas, the roaring of the waves, and the tumult of the people. Now notice what he's describing here. He's describing the God of creation. He says, you see those big, strong, tall mountains? God planted those. You see that roaring water that's seemingly out of control? God carved that and placed it in its boundaries. God tells the ocean where to go and the river where to flow and the stream where to find the valley. God tells the mountain where to plunge upward to the heavens. God puts the snow on the cap of the rocks. God is over these vast and great and gorgeous things. You ever stopped and stared at the ocean? You think to yourself, how big, how far, how deep, how wide, how uncontrolled. And yet the psalmist says, God's holding that. God's controlling that. You ever stopped and stared at a mountain? Better yet, you ever tried to walk up one? You think it's untamable. You can't get there. God planted those. God set those. But then notice with me the last part of verse 7. He says, the tumult of people. You ever seen the chaos of what people can do? You ever seen the craziness of the world? We can see it every day in every direction. We can see what seemingly seems to be out of control humanity. And yet the psalmist says the Creator is watching over all of that. The Creator has set all of that in control. So notice what he's telling us. He's telling us simply this, that God is over all things. God is the one who set the mountains, carved the rivers, and watches over the people. God is in charge of everything. He is the Creator over all things. Psalms 96, 4-6 reads this way, In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he has made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. God is the creator. We fix our eyes on that. Now, why is this important? Look at verse 8. Here's where the application comes. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Now notice with me here why it matters to remember that God is the creator. Notice what he says in verse 8 there at the very beginning. Those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in all of your signs. Let's just think about this for a moment. This is what the psalmist is saying. 
You take a boat, you get on a plane, you travel by car, you go to the furthest spot of the furthest place on the mountain, and if you were to cross a person there, if you were to see a person there, you can know this, God is already there. God is already there. There is no place where exploration of men will find that God is not. We can take rockets to the furthest part of space. God is already there. We can find it in the depths of the ocean. God is already there. We can find it in the middle of the urban city where there are millions of lost people, but God is there. We can find it in the foreign country where the gospel needs to reign, but God is there. What does the psalmist say? There is no place where God is not. Listen to me now. Don't miss this. When you find yourself in this next year, walking into that horrible room, when you find yourself at that weeping graveside, when you find yourself in that doctor's office, in that broken relationship, when you find yourself in that uncertainty, know this for sure, God is there. Because there is not one single place that the Creator is not over His creation. God is there at all times and in all places. The omnipresent God is there. The Creator is there. Now, that doesn't mean we don't feel like He's missing. That doesn't mean we don't face things where we might say, God, where are you? God, I don't, I don't feel your presence. I don't know where to go. I'm not sure where to plant my feet. God, where are you? Brothers and sisters, can I let you in on something that we should often recite to ourselves? Our feelings will lie to us. They will lie to us. I'm sure we could sit around and discuss the little boyfriends and girlfriends you had in first and second and third grade that you thought you were going to marry. And then look over to the wife or husband that is not that first or second grader and you can remind yourself, your feelings lie. They lie. We are confused by our feelings. Why? Because they're affected by sin. They're broken by sin. Feelings are a blessing from the Lord, but they are subject to the sin. They're subject to the fall. Our feelings will make us think that God is not there. But the Bible says that no matter where you go, God is there. So you may find yourself in despair, in uncertainty, in fear, and in struggle. You might ask yourself, God, where are you? But remember the facts. God is there. He is with His people. He has chosen to draw close His people. Jen Wilkes writes it this way in her book on the attributes of God. She says, We cannot trust our perception of God's closeness to be accurate. God is near. Whether we feel Him to be near or not, how mindful we are of this truth will directly affect the way we live. We cannot trust our feelings. He is near. And notice with me how he finishes this last idea. Look at verse 8, the very last part. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. I like that sentence because you know what it reminds me of? When I wake up and see the sun, God is there. When I go to bed and the moon is out, God is there. And every day that the sun comes up and the moon goes down, every day that the moon comes out and the sun goes down, every day in the cycle of nature, I can be reminded God is there. And you know what else is even more important? If the sun fell out of the sky, God's still there. He's still there because He is the Creator over all things. So the psalmist says, set your eyes on the God who forgives and the God of creation. And then finally, let's close with the last verse of the song. Let's set our eyes on the God who provides. I love the way the psalmist ends this because, let's be honest, 
The God who forgives is a big theological thought where God has forgiven our sins and we're, we're worshiping and we're grateful and we need to be reminded of that. And the God over creation who's over all things, who makes the rain to fall and the sun to set and, and all of that is powerful and good. But I still got to go to work tomorrow. I still got to face that broken relationship next week. I still got that doctor's visit in two weeks. What about the God of right now, right here in my details of my life? Well, the psalmist will narrow down his conversation to show us that the God of the creation and the God of forgiveness is also the God who provides for your everyday needs. He's the God who lets no detail go unseen. Look with me, verse 9. You visit the earth and you water it greatly. You enrich it. The rivers of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. We've already said that God is everywhere. So the psalmist to say you visit the earth, he's simply saying that you do special things in our lives. God in, is, is oftentimes in special ways drawing near and blessing in certain uh, aspects of our lives. God is always with us, but there are moments where he does a special outpouring. And the psalmist is using the analogy of farming to show this. He says God, in His special unseen way, does the miracle of sending the rain. You ever tried to grow a plant? Now, some of you in here are, are green thumbs. My mama melted fake ferns one time on the front porch. We're not green thumb people at my house. Uh, that's a true story, I promise you. Uh, we're not uh, 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 green thumb people. This year I decided I was going to plant some tomatoes in some buckets. I planted three tomato vines. I think we got three tomatoes out of all three vines. I, I didn't know how to do it. I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I'm so thankful that Winn-Dixie has tomatoes on sale all the time, right? But think about planting. You prepare the ground. You plant the seed. You can even use some farming equipment to water the soil. But, but we all understand that for the tree to grow, the plant to grow, there has to be the unseen work of God's hand. There has to be the miracle of the Creator sustaining creation. This is what the psalmist says. He says, Lord, you visit the earth and you do special things with your hand. And in fact, he's using this idea of growing. And he says, you water the earth greatly. That just literally means God's vats are overflowing. You do this special thing. And notice the word there at the end of verse 9. You prepared it. That word prepared there reminds me of my grandmother who took hours to make her famous chocolate pudding. She prepared it with great detail and with great instruction, with the idea of blessing the family who gathered around the table, she prepared it. God, listen to me now, don't miss this. Every detail of your life and every provision that you need, God prepares it. God's special, attentive hand is working in your life. You may not understand it, you may not see it, and your feelings may make you think it's not there, but the God of all creation who forgives you of your sin is the same God who is preparing the everyday rain for your life. He's the same God that's working in the soul of your soul so that you may be ready for His work as He visits upon you. He is the God who prepares for His people. Notice how He finishes the song. You water the furrows abundantly, settling its ridges. There again is that unseen work of God in the gardening picture. You soften it with showers and bless its growth. You crown the year with bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. You literally have the picture of a wagon overflowing with the goodness of God, spilling over into where God passes by. Notice with me verse 12. The pastures of wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. 
The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. What is once the wilderness has now made itself ready for God. What is once barren and wasteland now is overflowing with joy. The meadows are glowing. The earth is preparing. God has visited. God is doing His work. Could we not say that about ourselves? Where once my soul was a desert wasteland, it now overflows with joy. Where once the furrows of my life were hard and rough and the curves of my decisions were growing in the wrong direction, but the abundant wagon of God's good provisions walked through my trail and fixed it and changed it and blessed it and rescued me. He did it with intentionality. Why? Because He loves His people. He loves His people. This psalm here of Him taking care of our needs reminds me of another psalm we often read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. For His name's sake, God takes care of our needs. Brothers and sisters, 2020 was tough. It was a hard year. The rhythms of life were interrupted. The chaos on a worldwide scale was unfolded. There was a lot of uncertainty in 2020. And I have no guarantee that 2021 will be any better. In fact, just by reading the Bible, I would say that the world is going to continue to spiral out of control until King Jesus sets His foot on this place. But, but for His people, for the children of God, for the ones who have atonement for their sins through Christ Jesus, He hears our prayer. He is with us always. There is nowhere I will go where He is not. And He will provide for my needs. He will satisfy me in everything that I need. Why? Because I can set my eyes on the God who forgives, who creates, and who provides. I would say more than anything, one of the struggles I had in this last year is I got my eyes way too down on the earthly mess and not high enough on the God who's over all things. Let us set our eyes on God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the joy of the song of the psalm. The poetry of reminding us that you're the God who walks among your people. You visit, you care, you take care of your people. You first and foremost forgive us of our sins and so whatever we face, nothing can be greater than knowing that our sins are forgiven. Nothing this world can throw at us or entangle us in could be greater than knowing you have forgiven us of our sins. You hear us when we pray. You walk with us daily. You are wherever we go. You are there. You are a good God. Lord, I pray for the people who are under the sound of my voice, both here in this room and online. I, I pray this morning. You would help us to refocus our gaze to You. Pull us back from devouring too much of this world and the cycle. Help us, Father, to keep our eye on the King of Kings. 
Lord, I pray this morning for the one who 2020 has left some deep scars. And they are fumbling their way into the new year with pain and sorrow and hurt, disappointment, brokenness. Lord, I pray this morning you would remind them of the facts of Scripture. That our feelings may say one thing, but the, but the truth of Scripture says something else about you. Lord, I pray by the unseen work of the Spirit, you would soften the, the hard ground in their heart. You would do the unseen miraculous work in our lives that we would see you. And our lives would be changed. Church, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I ask you this morning, first and foremost, all, all of the blessings that you heard through this psalm. They start with the forgiveness of sin. You must come to Christ. You must be saved. You must ask Him to forgive you your iniquities and your trespasses. You must know that Christ died for you. The only way to have a relationship with God, the only way that He would hear your prayers and walk with you and provide for you and care for you is that you know Him. You're one of His. He has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it begins with the forgiveness of your sins. So this morning I ask you, what better way to start a new year than cry out to God for forgiveness? Turn from your sin. And turn to the Lord. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you. I want you to invite you even now to ask the Lord Jesus to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to change your life. You're here this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, then I just want to ask you simply, how's your perspective? How's your focus? What's important to you? What did you spend the last year, the last few months? What are you looking forward to in this new year? Are you aligning your eyes to the Lord? Maybe you just need to pray to God, God, help me. Help me fix my eyes on you. God, help me fight the temptation of getting lost in the muck of this world. Whatever the case may be, I, I pray as you leave this place, you will know your sins are forgiven. And you will set your eyes on the God who creates, the God who forgives, the God who provides. Lord, as we respond now, we pray that you would watch over us Lord, and you would uh, hear our heart prayer as we answer you, we pray in Jesus' name.